Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And this episode, we're discussing SST76, the paper bag LP, Ticket to Trauma. First time we're getting into the band Paper Bag. Really looking forward to it. It's uh, honestly, Brent, it's the first time I have ever listened to them, truly. And so it's uh, it's very neat for me. And it's yep. actually really cool to listen to them after having just done the Alternatives yep. um, episode before this. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but I'm interested to uh, to talk about that. Before we get into it, do you have any spiels, my man? Yes, I do. I have some recommends. Oh, yeah. A band I know you're a fan of, Ryan, The Beasts of Bourbon. Do you know about yes. their new album? No. I know. Aren't they touring or is that The Scientists? Uh, the Scientists might be touring, but Kim Solomon is also in this band. They're calling themselves just The Beasts now because they've lost okay. a couple significant m members. Brian Hooper passed away, I believe, in April of last year. And, of course, one of the main members, Spencer P. Jones, in August of last year. But they have a, a new album called Still Here. It's on this label called Bang Records, which I buy a ton of stuff that comes out on that label. It's mostly Australian stuff that I like. Um, but it's all former, current or former members of the Beast Suburban. Kim Solomon, Charlie Owen, uh, Boris Sadovic, Tony Pola, and of course Tex Perkins. And uh, Brian Hooper gets a songwriting credit on it, but he's not on it. And Spencer P. Jones played on one track. And Ryan, as an extra bonus for you, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about this much on the podcast. It's probably going to come up next week when we get into Zoogs. But our listeners should know you are a huge Frank Zappa fan. Oh, yeah. I'd be willing to bet you have every single release with the name Frank Zappa on it ever, including all of the various members side projects with the exception of probably steve Vai, passion and warfare i bet you don't have that i don't have any solo steve Vai <laughs> albums i also your loss your loss <laughs> i also don't have any solo terry bozio albums um but you're the the rest of what you said is probably pretty right yep uh well on this beast suburban if you can picture it or sorry i should stop calling it calling it that it's just the beasts the beasts uh, if you Picture this, Ryan. They do a cover of The Torture Never Stops. Oh, God. That'd be awesome. Yeah. It's a perfect song oh. for them if you think about it. Totally. Well, here's my question, though. Like, so I like The Beast Suburban. I really like, you know, the era of that, that LP, The Axeman's Jazz. I really like that era. Yep. Um, the later era, Beast Suburban, like that record, The Low Road, yep. is a little, is a little like, I don't know, little blues bar sounding to me yeah i what's, like it what's the, what's this record gonna sound like this new it's one? a mix it's got the a mix of like the swamp rock you know the scientists that, and then that, it's got like. and then it's got some australian rock and roll okay well i'll definitely check it out if it's the beasts and some zappa i'm in yeah you'll like it i think another recommend is the new meat puppets is phenomenal in my opinion it's a, it's a very eclectic album. It's got all kinds of instrumentation on it that they haven't, or mostly that they haven't done. Some of they have, like there's some banjo on it. The keyboards, uh, this guy Rob Stabinski is playing with them now, and the keys are featured prominently. There's been a lot of discussion about, do you like the keys on the album, do you not? I love them. I think it 
really beefs up their sound. It makes it still sounds like the Meat Puppets, but it makes the songs super interesting. And and I mean the keyboards in a lot of the songs are not just a background instrument. They're like a lead instrument throughout the song. There's stuff with like you know, like some baroque sounding piano. There's a really good rocker called Vampire's Winged Fantasy, which has some John Lord style Hammond, like Deep Purple type stuff. There's a cover on it called Sea of Heartbreak, which is originally by a band called The Searchers. Uh, there's some mar mariachi horns on the title track. The album's called Dusty Notes. Uh, of course, Derek Bostrom is back on drums, and Elmo Kirkwood, uh, Kurt's son, uh, is on second guitar. It's a great album. I can't recommend it enough. Cool. Well, you're a big Puppets fan relative to me, relative to me but uh, I'm definitely going to check it out. So today, Ryan, I was list. This wasn't going to be in my spiel's, but I was listening to this today, an album that I just think is a really phenomenal album that called um, "Another Sound Is Dying" by the D Dub Trio. I got it, you know, pretty early on when it came out, and listened to it a ton, and go back and listen to it a couple times a year, maybe. And I was listening to it today, and I was thinking, hmm, this is a band. Remember you know, maybe three, four episodes ago, you, you said, who is a band that could totally kick ass if they put out a new album? Yeah, right. And I was like, I thinking to myself, I bet you the dub trio would put out a kick-ass album. And then <laughs> I decided to Google the dub trio and see if they're even still an active band because I haven't heard anything about them for quite a while. And sure enough, they have a new album coming out next month. And... Um, they have a track with a video posted on their website with King Buzzo on vocals. What? Yeah, and it's really good. And I think the Dub Trio are just a phenomenal band. It's called, The album's called... Oh, what is it? It's a play on the Ornette, Ornette Coleman album. Oh, it's The Shape of Dub to Come. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah, right, right. Really looking forward to that. Huh. Tell me about the Dub Trio. Because they've, they've evaded me. Well, uh, let's see. They have the one album. I can't even remember where they're from, to be honest with you. They're American. Well, well, start me out with like the record that is the one I should listen to. Another Sound is Dying is the one I really like. It's on Ipecac. They are a tri instrumental trio, kind of metal riffs, but the kind you would like. Not, they're not like a metal band, but they, you know, they play with distortion, and then they do like dub reggae almost but not huh. but that's not really doing it they du like they do du they dub off of each other live with pedals it's super interesting and very creative the riffs are amazing they're awesome musicians the bass playing and drumming are like super tight rhythm section they put out an album maybe i don't know 3 4 years ago i think it's just called 4 didn't really blow me away like another sound is dying, but I might have to go back and listen to it. They've, mm. I think they've backed up people too. Like, I could be wrong about this, but I think they did. They might be like you know that band Peeping Tom with. Oh yeah, I think they might either be his band, Mike Patton's band, on that Peeping Tom album, or they or just backed him, right? or they just backed him up live. One of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I could see that now that you did, because I I really like the Peepy Tom, Peeping Tom stuff, and the what you described to me, 
could definitely fit on that record. So they're all instrumental except this new cut off the new album where King Buzzle sings. Uh, Mike Patton does a song on that, Another Sound is Dying, and they may have vocalists on. They've got a couple EPs that I don't have and an earlier album before the Ipecac one that I also don't have. So you, I basically told you everything I know about the dub trio. Okay, well, it's enough to get me to check them out for real this time. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. And before I pass it over to you, Ryan, I have an angst update. An angst date? Angst date. This is from... <laughs> <laughs> and this is from uh, the man himself, Joseph Pope. So this is legit. Nice. nice. Okay, so he says, yeah, Robert Fo Frost poem. I must have asked him if the... I think it was you who suggested that the track, uh, the album title Mending Wall may have come from a Robert, Robert For a Frost poem. That's right, because I'm a poet. Yes, it did. And then he says, John sings lead on some things, and I sing, okay. I sing lead on Standing Here Alone. Now, that didn't okay. help me a ton, because Standing Here Alone is the guy that sounds like Chris Bailey from The Saints, and I couldn't figure out which one, which one of my... <laughs> <laughs> but we we did get some messages from some listeners who were maybe a little frustrated with us. <laughs> apparently, oh, apparently, we hashed all with the me? wait wait with me or with us or with just you. Probably just me. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, we may have hashed this out on the Light Life episode. Yeah, we did, man. Did we? Yeah. What? Like who sings what? Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, is that they're not it's not credited the same way on the last album. right right yeah this one's all pope risk right so that doesn't yeah. really tell you anything uh one of our listeners jeffrey pierpoint said i believe joseph pope cleared up which singer is which on light light on the light life episode the john <laughs> the <laughs> dig this though he goes the john doe glad i'm not in russia guy is john e risk and the higher pitch gordon Ga gano Outside my window guy is Joseph Pope. There you go. Uh, and this was also confirmed by friend of the pod, Robert Vodica. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so <laughs> we may have solved the mystery here. Yeah. Hopefully well, don't, don't lose that scrap of paper for the next. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when we get into the next one, remind me of this conversation. Okay. Okay. I'll try. I can't remember much these days. Yeah. Me neither. Obviously. Okay, here's some more from Joseph Pope. We were prolific, so we'd been, been playing the songs since before Light Life came out. That was the pattern. By the time a record came out, we were well on to the next one. So, while touring behind Light Life, we were playing all these songs on the road. It was whatever struck us so as not to get bored. Not selectively, as I think Carducci had told you we'd done. He was very big on the idea of playing the songs fresh off the road so they, so they would be sharp. Since we practiced constantly, it made no difference to us. Though I will say that there is a huge difference between playing a song every night in one's practice pad and playing them live. I recall, I recall that we finished the tour in L.A. and went straight into the studio without going home. As with Light Life, Carducci was very hands-on, and the re record was recorded and mixed in roughly the same time frame, 48 hours. There was some overdubbing, mostly guitars, i.e. a different tone for chorus but again it was recorded basically live except for vocals don't recall much about the engineer other than he that he was com 
competent and again did not try to impose anything on us. I knew some things I can't get used to was the song to push. No coincidence, it's first on the record. The promo 45 was made of it and we made a video of it. The only promo video we ever made for SST, though we did do some other TV stuff. The video was made by a video artist pal of mine, Lisa English, and cost about $500 total. It was recorded on the roof of a, of a warehouse I lived in at the time. I wanted to play with the art form, but John was insistent that it only be us playing the song live. When SST sent it to MTV, they said, We love the song, but don't like the production values, in quotation marks. We laughed hard at that, and our response was, What production values? <laughs> It actually ended up getting played a fair amount on the 120 Minutes program. Right. And a very funny historical note is that the first time it was played, someone somewhere, somehow, had titled it as a Black Flag song, I think Drinking and Driving. So the following week, the VJ, Kurt Loder, gave a little explanation slash apology and played it again, titled properly this time. The airplay happened right before slash as we were on tour, but a bunch of airplay on the hip MTV program made basically zero difference as far as audience attendance, as best we could tell. <laughs> One more quick little blurb. I can't recall exactly where I got the picture for the cover other than out of some magazine. I already had the title. I did the splash painting and design layout. I did the entire thing in two or three hours as it was all very last minute. So there you go. Thanks to Joseph Pope for sending that over. Glad to yeah. to get some of that on the record. Totally. Yet again, none of that is anywhere. So that's awesome. Yeah, and awesome. hey, people love Angst, man. We get a great reaction. We, we've done three Angst records now, and people are super pumped to hear hear something about Angst. They've yeah. got they've got fans out there. Yeah, with good reason. Yep. Those are my spiels, Ryan. What do you have? Okay. I'm going to try and keep it to three. Maybe it's four. Yeah, I think it's four. I just want to mention a few real quick off the top. I can't remember what episode it was, but I kind of gave a list of documentaries that were cool to check out that kind of relate to this era of music that we're, we're, uh, we're digging into on this show. And I came across another one, and it's free on YouTube. It's called Breadcrumb Trail, and it's about the band Slint brand hmm. i probably have that that's probably the one i bought the deluxe edition of of the cd i have it oh, on Spider i have it on vital but i bought i bought the cd and it, yeah and it, ca it came with a dvd and i'm pretty sure that's probably the one that's in there okay i i still only have like the original probably old version of the cd or whatever but i had no idea this was out there and i stumbled across it just going down a rabbit hole on youtube on looking up uh, cool band videos and it's great there's some uh, great footage of the band um, great interviews with you know folks that were around with touch and go steve albini david yao so that's a recommend if you haven't seen that uh, is it, for the listeners does it have the footage of them like where they basically just set up a probably a vhs recorder or whatever in their practice pad oh yeah yeah there's lots of that yeah that's the one Okay, so that one's good. People should check that out. An update on my pursuit of all things angry Samoans. Did you, did got, you get the bootleg? Uh, I don't have the bootleg yet, but what I did get in the mail 
Damn it. I'm uh, going through some doll withdrawal, man. Yeah. Hopefully next (laughs) week. Um, but, but, but hang on. So I got that record, um, the self-titled record by the mistaken. Oh yeah. Yep. And it's good. I like it. It really reminds me of the angry Samoans, that era of the Samoans where they put out that record yesterday started tomorrow that has just like those killer tunes on it, like the cover of It's Raining Today and Unhinged and stuff, like the mid-80s Angry Samoans. Hmm. And this Mistaken record came out in 87, and I've got a... I need some help from our listeners. It's on a label called Bad Trip Records, and and check this out. The catalog is listed on the back of this Mistaken record. BT1, Angry Samoans, Yesterday Started Tomorrow. BT2, The Mistaken, this record I'm holding in my hand. BT3 is by The Sons of Mellencamp, and the album is called Rumble at Pig Pens. Hmm. And then the next two are Angry Samoans records, but I cannot find anything on The Sons of Mellencamp, and and especially like the record Rumble at Pig Pens. And so I need someone to blast us with like, what is that? It's not on Discogs if you put the label I in can't, there? No, I can't find it on Discogs. And maybe my maybe I hit a typo or something. I can't find it in any of my books. Anyways, I want people to uh, see. I, I'd be interested if anyone knows anything about The Sons of Mellencamp. All right. A quick, quick Bob Mould update before I get to kind of my bigger spiel. A buddy of mine was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago and saw like Bob did a two night stint for his 40th anniversary tour. It's like 40 years of Bob Mould's music. And my buddy Brock was there and he saw this show, said it was awesome. No surprise there. But he had kind of an anecdote that I thought you would appreciate because, I mean, I appreciated it and probably for the same reason. But he watched the show from like a balcony above at this venue and apparently looking down on uh, the crowd, like right in front of the stage, was just a sea of bald heads. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." Yep. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my final spiel is uh, I I, uh, I sent you a note on this, um, but I got to mention it for everyone on the show. Um, because the squid has landed, Brant. Yeah. The squid has landed. I got an order. I got actually two orders uh, in the mail. One from Happy Squid Records. And people have heard me talk about Happy Squid Records before. We've had a number of the bands on before, like Angst, for example, The Leaving Trains. We've mentioned The Urinals and 100 Flowers. I placed an order because there was a new Rad Waste album, Brant. Right, yeah. I want to hear that. It's not new though, right? It's just a new release of an old recording. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a new release. It's unreleased 80s recordings and dude, I I mean, I've been listening to it nonstop since the package arrived. It's if Happy Squid Records has a sound, this is the sound and it is like 80s post-punk. I don't know. I just I really like it. I almost like it better than the other Rad Waste record that I have, but for those who don't know it has Kevin Barrett in the band, who was uh, in the Urinals, um, other bands. God in State is another. Kevin Barrett as well, too. We mentioned him on the Leaving Trains record, Kill Tunes. He's the guy that found the Leaving Trains and got them signed to Happy Squid Records. 
some other people that I don't know much about, but I'm going to look into them because uh, I'm just digging this record so much. Jay Jackson, PK, Michael Corey, Rob Malone, Debbie Spinelli, but then also John Talley Jones on vocals and bass, who is, of course, from the Urinals and a ton of other bands. Um, and, and I'll mention those in a second. I also ordered, in that order, a couple of spots to fill my Happy Squid Records collection. I got a CD by The Rub called Day Off from Karma. Right. And that's a good record. Um, I hadn't really heard this record before, but it has Dirk Vandenberg in it. And uh, that's kind of cool, produced by John Talley Jones. And then I also got this other record by a band called Stukas Over Bedrock. Right. Called The Age of Aquariums. And it's kind of, I mean, it's it's advertised as kind of a a joke punk album. And it kind of is. It's kind of like Anarchy 6, I guess. Okay. It's not essential. It's probably, like, on the Happy Squid roster, probably my least favorite. But this Rad Waste record, everyone who has any kind of interest in that stuff, any of those bands that we mentioned where, you know, Happy Squid was kind of a farm team or a, like a farm team or a organization where SST kind of recruited bands from Happy Squid, they should really check out that Rad Waste. But the other package I got is also related to the Squid brand. Okay. And it's from, I mentioned to you that I ordered from Mustard Only Records. Right. I ordered that new Trotsky Ice Pick. Oh, right, single. right. Yeah, yeah yep. finally got that. And uh, I also ordered those two Cal Johansson CDs. So they showed up, both of these. And, and again, ordering from Happy Squid and Mustard Only, they came like right away. It's coming right from the musicians, right? Right. But the Mustard Only order... They threw in a copy of the Danny and the Doorknob single for me, too. Nice. And, yeah. And so I just, we need to pump up both of those uh, labels, and folks should go and order them. And Danny and the Doorknobs, I mean, you can quibble over it, but they're essentially Trotsky Ice Pick, which, again, has um, met, like, here we go, like Tom Hofer on bass, right? Tom Watson on guitar. Yep. We, met, we mentioned him before. Kel Johansson again. Vitas Matari. The other thing about this uh, Trotsky single is there's um, there's a song on it called Arnold Is, and my kid's name is Arnold, and his mind was blown when I played this single <laughs> for him today. <laughs> He's like, what? Why is my name on that song? But, uh, yeah, that's it. Right on. we got wa- lots to listen to, man. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about Paper Bag? Let's do that. History Lesson, Part 1. Okay, Ryan, I am going to tell you about the Paper Bag Improvisational Company, as they are sometimes known. Improvisational Music Company, right? Right, right. They started around September 1983. So I reached out to Greg Seagull, or Seagull. What do you think it is? I don't know, man. Ask Greg. (laughs) (laughs) You got a 50-50 shot on pronunciation, I think. Okay, well, I asked him how the band started and whether they were still in school when it started. He and his brother, Mark, who will henceforth be known as M. Siegel, because that's, I think, how he liked to be known. I've never seen him listed as Mark anywhere. M. M. Period. Siegel. Uh, They formed the band. They both liked improvisation and wanted to see if they could take 
improvising somewhere different. He says, we each brought in different ideas that ended up making the band kind of unusual for improvisational band. Mark wanted to keep the pieces short. I didn't want us to limit ourselves to any particular style of music, but instead wanted to pull in anything we were interested in. Mark wondered what we would do about vocals. I suggested poetry, but didn't want to do it. He and other members ended up doing it most of the time. The other members were found mostly through a paper called The Recycler, which was free to post ads, but you had to buy it to read them. Their section for musicians was huge, which you would expect in LA, and we found each other through that. Everyone was out of high school for a while before the band formed. I was the youngest member at 20, Mark was 28. All the members that came through were in between. George and Kenny, who were on all the SST releases, were a few years older than me. So there were a few other members in there. They had, uh, we started out with a guy named Richard Derrick on bass and a guy named Mark Olson on keys. This is in 1983. Mark left after their first rehearsal. Uh, a couple months later, they added Ken Roser on guitar and effects. And then in early 84, they added Bruce Hubner on sax, flute, and oboe. And then Kenny Ryman on keys, tape loops. And then Bruce left sometime in 85, and George Radai joins joined the lineup. But they carried on as a quartet. Here's a little something I found from Richard Derrick, who uh, doesn't play on this album, but it kind of gives a little flavor of how the band started. In the summer of 1982, after a few years of waiting for something cool and interesting to happen in San Pedro, I answered in an intriguing ad in the Recycler for a band looking for a bassist. I went to their, I went to their rehearsal space on Lookout Mountain in Laurel Canyon, and I was immediately hooked. Besides finding the total the music totally fascinating, I was also struck by what cool folks they were. Here's kind of a little thing about that he talks about that uh, how the band got started. After nine months of practicing, we decided it was time to take our show on the road. We also needed a name, so somehow we decided on Middle Sleep. We quickly discovered there wasn't much interest in 1983 for what we were doing and whatever concessions we made concentrating on songs rather than improvising on stage didn't help matters any after three months <laughs> after three <laughs> after, uh, yeah after, I, can, I can relate to that after playing in a zillion bands <laughs> yeah after three months of this the band fell apart but fortunately several several hours of recording still exist of what we accomplished in that garage much of which helped form the basic idea behind paper bag so him and mark basically realized that they wanted to keep improvising so they formed an all improv band with Mark's brother Greg on guitar and that became Paper Bag and of course uh, Richard left the band at some point here that's how Paper Bag basically got started and uh, here's a little thing about the name also uh, it was Richard Derek who gave the band their name he says the name just means anything can be put into a bag improv fresh canvas he says i thought it was kind of obvious hmm. a lot of this stuff i'm getting off of a website i found did you find this website ryan paperbagtheory.com yeah there is yeah an insane amount of stuff on that website if anybody wants to learn more about paper bag there is 
an insane amount of information on there. Yeah, we're really lucky because, I mean, I couldn't find anything in my books on it. And I stumbled across this website and it's just never ending information on paper bag. And um, M. Siegel, there's also a link off that website, Brent. I don't know if you saw that, but it goes to kind of like the new combo that M. Siegel is still running called Bag Theory. And they've even got a, a CD out. Yeah, all these guys have, well, especially Greg and Mark or M. Siegel, I should start calling them, have like tons of side projects and and uh, all kinds of stuff. I didn't check out, I don't know if there's music you can listen to of the, what is it? The the Bag Theory? Is that what you said? Bag Theory, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Kenny Ryman, he passed away in 2013. Yeah. And some years later, I mean, I can't remember. There's just so much information on these web pages. Yeah. Uh, it was really and, overwhelming uh, trying to find the the stuff I wanted to, to use on the podcast, to be honest with yeah. you. But it, but it sounds like, you know, after Kenny passed away, they wanted to, or, or M. Siegel anyways, kind of wanted to carry on the idea or the spirit, but didn't feel it was appropriate to keep the same name and uh, ended up calling it Bag Theory with a whole other crew of people. And um, I don't know, it's pretty, it's a pretty impressive legacy, this type of, like this band, this collective, I guess, maybe. I don't know if you could call it that. Yeah. And um, that's just not well known. And that's why it was so interesting to stumble across this website where you can find out like anything you want to know about them. Yeah. Greg Siegel has a website too or a Bandcamp page, I should say. It's Greg Seagal, S-E-G-A-L dot Bandcamp dot com. And this album, Ticket to Trauma, is up on there if anybody wants to hear it. Are you sure it's not Seagal dot Bandcamp dot com? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. So uh, everyone should go check that out. I've got some more from Greg, though. And uh, to be honest with you, like I reached out to him before I track this website down but i'm glad i did because it he kind of just cut through the the insane amount of content on the on the website and, and answered my questions so i asked him what who they were influenced by because i was really curious because i heard a bunch of different stuff in there which we'll get to when we when we talk about the tracks yeah me too totally yeah but he says the influences were really wide the most common between us would probably be be the more aggressive and harsh of the prog bands like King Crimson and Van de Graaff Generator. But the band's yeah, but the band's interest went to almost anything you can think of. Every kind of punk rock, punk, abstract music, field recordings from around the world, jazz classical, 20th century classical, and experimental things. And one of the things about Paper Bag was the idea that there were no limits on what kinds of things we could combine. Did he talk at all about the recordings that came before Ticket to Trauma? Yep. So I asked him if I could hear them, <laughs> if he had digital versions of them, because I really wanted to hear him. And those albums, I believe, are victim. All came out in 1985, and I think were all self-released by the band on cassette only. Victimless Crime, Drapes of Rain, and Live 85.5. I think he said he has possibly has a digital version of uh, Victimless Crime. Might have been Drapes of Rain, I can't remember. Um, he says, They sound a lot like Ticket to Trauma, recorded on the same equipment and in many of the same sessions. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. 
Did you go and check out any YouTube videos of paper bag brand? No. Oh man. There's some, uh, some, <laughs> I mean, they're pretty cool. Um, were they, the were they wearing red and black? Yeah. And like <laughs> suspenders and headbands and stuff. Did it you? looks, <laughs> it, it looks like, like this is no slight to the band, but some footage looks painfully eighties. Yeah. Did you read their procedures, rules, and objectives? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember it, though. Tell me all about well, it. Well, they're, they're really long, but it's basically... So, I think, like, the nuts and bolts of Paper Bag is they were a true improvisational band, right? Like, nothing was rehearsed. And the basic idea is a single person kind of conducts the piece, like they start it. And the idea is then one of one or all of the musicians come in and then they they have a whole list of like nods and gestures that they the the director gives like hand signals that the band invented on telling people where they wanted the song to go and then they would kind of do it in a rotation it's point 3 on the procedures rules and objective, objectives whether in rehearsal in performance or in the studio paper by improvised its pieces in what we call a rotation meaning that someone would start the day's playing whatever the event and conduct the first piece from there we proceed to each let each player conduct in either clockwise or counterclockwise order each player's turn was his rotation average for live gigs was three per member <laughs> and why i asked if they were wearing red and black because they had band colors the band colors were red and black and all clothing worn at shows on stage was to reflect this motif. It was a strict rule. This was done in pursuit of a unified image. As is the album cover for this record. Yeah, good point. I asked uh, Greg what kind of bands they played with. Uh, he says, we weren't picky. There were no bands or places to play that were a good fit for what we were doing, so we took pretty much every gig we could get. It made for some strange bills. I asked him how they ended up on SST. And there's a few things about this, the, uh, I guess, legal troubles they had with this recording leading up to, to it being on SST. A number of people on the label had mentioned SST to us, and Mark had been trying to get their attention. Eventually, they came to a gig with a contract in January of, January of 87. We signed, and they put out Ticket to Trauma, which was a cheap date for them since all they had to do was press it. We had master tapes and print ready and print ready cover art. And here's where he talks about the controversy. Uh, we probably had five or six tapes we'd sent out by then, a couple of which had done really well for indie cassettes, good reviews and decent sales. But we, we also tried to record as often as we played, which included rehearsal, because nothing was ever done twice. We still have the majority of that stuff, so there's a huge amount of unreleased music. The last thing we tried to put out before we, we were signed was what ended up being our first SST record, Ticket to Trauma. We tried to put it out on our own label and got ripped off by the printing company, us and about 40 other bands. We had to threaten the guy with physical harm to even get our master tapes and one of our cover panels back. We never actually got close enough to get more out of him, certainly not our money. Anyway, we had no money left to press it and decided to keep on gigging and see if maybe we could get somebody else to put it out. That somebody else ended up being SST. Hmm. 
I asked them because they were, I knew they were prolific. So I asked them if they, you know, did anything outside of SST once they got on the label. We released exclusively through SST when we were signed to them with one exception. There was an album on New Alliance, so not too far from SST, of the best of Brain Cookies, which was a live show broadcast out of KXLU Radio in LA. And he's talking, that's of course the Taste Test Volume 1, which we've mentioned a few times. Yeah, well that's interesting because I, I made note how this record was recorded in August of 85, but it wasn't released until April of 87. Yeah, and I think, Ryan, this is our first release of 87. Maybe, yeah. I think it is. We've still got some stuff coming out in 86 after this, I believe, but yeah, yeah. again, they were jumping all over the place, so... Yeah, I think you might be right there. It's not our first improv album, though. No. October Faction. Right, and Saccharine Trust. True, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about World Broken. I kind of alluded to it earlier. I had never listened to Paper Bag before, and I, I'm kind of happy that I heard it for the first time after listening to Alternatives, which we mentioned in the last episode how a lot of people thought that they were like a jam band, but they totally weren't. Yeah. And then you listen and then you listen to this record, which is very clearly improvisational. It's very cool to listen to those two records back to back because it it makes them like it's a huge contrast. Although as instrumental, I'll call it um, technically complex records i bet you a lot of people lumped bands like alternatives and paper bag together oh for sure there's a a great piece on the website by this guy uh jerry kranitz that he wrote in like 2002 and he kind of talks about that he says as an improv improvisational rock band one might assume that paper bags albums consist of lengthy jams which couldn't be further from the case According to the band's rules for improvisation, members would take turns being the composer or conductor of pieces that averaged between two to seven minutes. And there is definitely nothing uh, even close to seven minutes, I, I don't think, on this album. No, well, side one has got eight tracks on it alone. Yeah. yeah. Both, both, sides, both sides have eight tracks, actually. Do you want to talk about the tracks? Yeah, let's get into the record. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, so I wrote some notes, and then for many of the tracks, uh, the guy I just mentioned, Jerry Kranitz, he kind of goes through all of their albums on this website, so I kind of pulled out some of the stuff he says about the individual tracks as well. So it starts with the title track. Oh, and I should say, I'm pretty sure this only came out on LP, which is probably an anomaly up until this point. Or, well, that's not true, because a lot of this like say overkill or something like that was probably LP only but certainly for the last 20 releases they at least came out on LP and cassette if not LP and CD right and odd that this one didn't come out on cassette because uh, paper bag did a lot of cassettes on their own I could be wrong about that though maybe it did come out on cassette anyways uh track Track one. I, well, I, I was looking. I checked. I can't see any sort of suggestion that it came out other than on vinyl. Yeah. Track one is the title track, Ticket to Trauma. It's basically just a 
kind of a cacophony of noise to start the album. Is it cacophony or cacophony? <laughs> In Canada, it's cacophony. <laughs> sorry, man. That's not going to get old for a while. I'm sorry. Um, this one, I mean, I agree. It's kind of chaotic, but I already, and you alluded to this, I'm already hearing little bit of Zappa in this already. Yeah. For me anyways. It's and the next song too. Yeah. Track two, Through Your Eyes. I wrote bass and so the bass and drums kind of fall into a groove and they go they go into the, the track. And there's kind of this left and right pan going around. Here's what I was confused about. Like it sounds like there's backwards guitar on this, so I don't know if that's like I mean, they were big King Crimson fans and you know, Robert Fripp did a lot of tape manipulation and stuff like that. I don't really know a ton about how that works, but... Yeah, well, there's there was a number of sounds, like on this track, it kind of, like, the reason that it reminded me of Zappa, even on this track, is that there were sounds that sounded like a violin, almost like Jean-Luc Ponty that, on... That's what I thought it was, too. Yeah, and, and I don't think it is... Um, I do think it's some sort of loop or keys. And it also kind of reminded me of like some of the percussion um, sounds that like Erto Moriero would get. Um, I don't know if that rings any, like the, if that makes any sense to you, but there were kind of like a woodwinds loop violin type of sound. That was kind of cool. I did write, I hear some violin on this and a, and of course, Greg is just shredding on the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Jerry wrote uh, a bit of the King Crimson sound, though Kenny Ryman's loops contribute to the music's distinctiveness. Maybe that's it. It's the loops. Yep. Track three, Crank Man. It's got a bit of a jazzy bass line and some kind of swinging drums. Uh, it sounds like I did a lot of four track recordings like in my bedroom and stuff. And it sounds like there, for people who don't know, four track is like a, you record it on a cassette and there was a dial on it where you could turn the speed of the tape, literally, like it would make the, the tape run faster. And it sounds like that's what's happening. Somebody's dialing the, the tape speed on the four track back and forth. Yeah. And then you, and then like you would, you would, dial the speed back and forth while you're recording and then of course you'd play it in a normal deck and you'd hear the speed fluctuate yes jerry says more jazz based territory though it also has a controlled jamming rock quality propelled by mark's aggressive yet determined percussion and semi acidic licks from greg semi acidic Ooh. yep next track sublimation i just put one minute of what sounds like feedback with some, someone running their fingers like along the strings. Yeah. Do you remember what sublimation is from, from science in high school? No. <laughs> Come on, man. It's when, um, uh, when a solid goes right to a gas. Okay. I probably flunked out of science, man. With, with, no, with no liquid. It's like, um, like dry ice or something. I'm just glad you didn't correct me on sublimation. It's actually pr pronounced sublimation. <laughs> yep. I'm, 
I'm waiting for you to tell me what Benares is right away here. I'd have no idea, but track okay, five. Well, yeah. <laughs> track five is Rain Over Benares. Ryan, do you remember from geography where Benares is? Uh, it's in India, man. Okay. Here we get into some percussion instruments. Like somebody, probably M. Siegel, had access to some percussion instruments, man. Vibra slap, yeah. bongos, yep. everything. Yep. Harps, harpsichord too, right? Also a percussion instrument. This really reminded, and it's probably because it's got a bit of a world music vibe with the bongos and whatnot, but it kind of reminded me of something you'd hear on a Jane's Addiction or Porno for Pyros album. Hmm. Jerry calls this among the more ambient tracks. You know what? I bet you a lot of people are going to correct me on calling the harpsichord a percussion instrument because I'm pretty sure that the strings are plucked on that, but whatever, man. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting, Ryan, is there's no horns anywhere. On this record? Yeah. You know, like uh, these guys are clearly jazz dudes. No, but no like prominent sax like, yeah. or something like that, like on alternatives, which yeah. is all over. Agreed. Agreed. Track six, Monkey Jack. Another bass and drum groove. And it, <laughs> well, here's what Jerry says. Another jazzy tune, but more in a rocking fusion territory. Uh, the song's character comes from what sounds like a turntable scratching, giving the music a left field funky quality. Which is, yeah. it definitely sounds like that. I just kept thinking of this toy my kid had when she was really young called a Wiggly Giggler that sounded exactly like that. You would just shake it back and forth. It was like this tube. You know, I, I know what you're talking about. And I mean, it does sound like scratching and it, I mean, I guess it fits when you talk about the next song, which has some rapping on it. Yeah. It's called, what more do you want? It's the first time we hear lyrics. Uh, there's some egg shaker going on, uh, some ambient room sounds. I thought it almost sounded Tom Waits esque. Like he's got some, some songs like, uh, he's got this really great track. I think it's on Mule Variations, uh, called What's He Building in There? Do you know that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that, you know, like how he bangs on, you know, garbage cans and stuff like that. Yeah. What's that good, uh, what's that good, uh, oh, there's a great lyric in that song where he's like, um, ah, I can't remember it. It doesn't matter. He's like, oh, because it's like you, man. He's like, he has those, he has subscriptions to those magazines. <laughs> <laughs> he never waves when he goes by. <laughs> What's he it's building like, in there? Yeah, and then and then he says something else. Oh, man, I can't remember what it is. Oh, yeah, I heard he has an ex-wife in some place called Mayor's Income, Tennessee. <laughs> and he used to have a consulting business in... Indonesia. <laughs> so uh, Jerry says poetry recited in an angry street style, similar to many rap artists, but also with a beat feel, backed by avant free improv music. Uh, the next track is the Ballad of Ed Gein. Do you know who Ed Gein is? Yeah, I looked him up too, man. <laughs> I didn't have to. <laughs> what? You know this guy? Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, man. Come on. What do you mean? What do you mean? Is it, was Texas Chainsaw like built on this guy? That's or who they based what? Leatherface on. Oh no way! Way. 
Oh, okay. Well, so I, I mean, I, I mean, that's I, all I know about him. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I, so I looked him up and okay. he, uh, he was, I mean, he was a murderer and a body snatcher. Yep. Um, from, in like, uh, I guess kind of the 1900s and he was known as the butcher of Plainfield. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. His Wikipedia page is, it's pretty disgusting. I believe the Slayer song "Dead Skin Mask" is also about Ed Gein. Yeah, well, it talks about how, I guess, his house. He had all this furniture and clothing that was made out of exhumed bodies. Yeah. So it's pretty raunchy. Yeah. Um, but this song, on a on a lighter note, it reminded me of King Crimson. Yeah. Yeah, it's got kind of a swing and groove to it. Jerry says, among his personal faves, uh, one of the more purely rock tracks, freewheeling jamming quality, still an evident King Crimson-styled path the band follows, as well as some kick-ass, aggressive freak-out soloing from Greg. And then we flip it over for a track called Think For Myself, and I wrote, this is a rant about conformity over some guitar noise. Yeah, my my notes say, quote, ranting, end yep. quote. yep. That's what Jerry wrote, too. More of a ranting punk style. Yeah. And the next track is Priests on Drugs. And I just wrote, like, whoever's rotation was, I guess it would have been uh, the Keys was playing a... Yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say it's Kenny on this one, because yep. he's just rocking out the Fender Rhodes. Yeah, he's playing, like, a scale. And then uh, Greg comes in with, like, a loungy guitar riff. Jerry says it crosses late 60s, early 70s, trippy electric fusion with avant lounge atmosphere. Totally. Definitely a sound that, I mean, it sounded very familiar to me in the George Duke type of vein, that sound on the keyboards. Yep. Uh, track three on side two is The Devil's Cha-Cha. Is, <laughs> well, is this an actual cha-cha? I don't know. Uh, I mean, there are elements where there's it's cha-cha-esque, but the thing that came to my mind when I listened to the song is I go, I mean, yes, the Paper Bag Improvisational Music Company is an improvisational band, but this song, to me, did not sound totally improvised. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may have started improvised, but by the last two minutes of eight minutes it's sounding less improvised than the rest of the album, I would say. Yeah. I, I wrote the li the leads are influenced, or I hate, I almost hate saying this because I feel like I say this every episode, but I hear some Greg Ginn in there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see it every episode, but yeah. let me see here. What episode is this, 76? Yep. Probably at least half of them. Probably. <laughs> Jerry calls this quirky avant Prague. Uh, then we've got a track called Ambient Languages. I wrote poetry over guitar harmonics and chords, and someone's like rotating the volume knob on the guitar. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of knob twiddling on this record. Like the next song, Homeless. Yep. I don't know if you caught how everything is kind of panning back and forth during that song. My notes say solo bongo panning. 
my my kids were in my office when I was listening to this, and my my daughter's like, "Do you like this?" And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm just kind of checking it out. And she's like, "Sounds weird." And uh, I was like, "Yeah." I was trying to explain how you know a way that you can record stuff, you can push it to one speaker and the other. And she was gone by the time I was done my first sentence. <laughs> Next track is Garberville. Uh, the keys, drums, and guitar are kind of just noodling, and they eventually fall into a groove, and they kind of just follow a pretty cool guitar lick. Yeah, that's that's the thing that stuck out for me, the chorus effect on there. Yeah. And, and uh, once they hit that groove, I'm like, yeah, that just reminds me of, what was the last one? Avant Prague, that reference? Yep. This this song is avant-prog. Well, here's what Jerry says about this one. Somewhat familiar to a thrack attack. Like King Crimson hey. improv. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also has a 60, 60s bluesy power psych rock sound. Thrack yeah. attack is, of course, a King Crimson reference to, to an yeah, album of theirs, this, Thrack. Yeah, but this record predates Thrack. That's true. Yep, good point. Uh, track seven, the Nile cries. We've got more percussion going on here. I hear some like percussive bells, some wooden blocks, a timpani, which is like the big kettle drum. Boom. I wrote sounds like incident incidental music from a soundtrack with which Jerry also figured it. He says soundtrack feel with lots of fun freaky sounds. Yeah. By the time I got to like listening to this record a number of times this week and writing down the track names of like. This record has good track names. Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> well, like I've said before, you know, that's one of the coolest things about doing instrumental music is you can really try and pick out song titles that match the the sounds of the, the music. Like this last track in particular. Yeah, Closed City. I just wrote another groove with keys taking the lead. Uh, Jerry wrote, highly intense progressive rock, the jazzier parts often remind me of San Francisco jazz psych maestro's Mushroom. Hey. Yeah. What's what's that good record by Mushroom? Uh, Cream of Mushroom Soup or something? <laughs> <laughs> cream of Mushroom? <laughs> I think it's Cream of Mushroom, yeah. My, my notes for Closed City, though, is like, just as we were alluding to, this the, the sound of this song tells the story of a closed city to me totally okay there's some really great stuff i wrote a bunch of reviews down that i found on their website um i'm not going to read them because we basically i'm just going to be repeating it everybody mentions king crimson when they talk about uh paper bag i'm just going to read the first part of this one review from on this album in particular from 1987 by this guy Bob Morrison Option Magazine because I, I, think, I think this needs to be stated you know we've already said it but I'm going to say it one more time or I'm going to let Bob say it one more time this is the only rock band I can think of that does improvisational music and nothing but improvisational music no rehearsed songs nothing is planned whatever happens on stage in the studio in practice is completely spontaneous yeah, it's hard to think of, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of any other bands. You probably have got a couple on the tip of your tongue. Well, Can you think of any other bands like that? 
oh, well, a lot of the bands I listen to, like jam bands, like say, well, of course, Grateful Dead, or like even instrumental jam bands like... Uh, but that's different, right? That's like, they, they just, they're not making it up on the spot. No, they have song structures and they're improvising in the middle, right? Yeah, that's yeah. different. Yeah. Like this, like paper bag isn't fish or something like that. No, no. Right? Yeah. No, here's some other bands that I thought of when I was listening to this. I, I think they have a definite Krautrock vibe. Anybody who likes this paper bag album should check out stuff by Cluster. Zuckerzeit is a good one. Faust, who we've mentioned before, a good one by them is the album Four. That's Roman numeral four. And a lot of older 60s and even some 80s stuff like Bongwater is a cool band that kind of, I would say, is not dissimilar to Paper Bag at times. The Butthole Surfers, I hear in here. And I bet, you know, like they totally improvised live, not... Oh, yeah. You know, they yeah. weren't an improvisational band, but I, I guarantee you they did. Brian Eno and David Byrne have some great stuff, especially, well, Eno solo, but together they do. Um, bands like The Boredoms, uh, Silver Apples. I heard all of that in here. Yeah, it's interesting that Paper Bag doesn't get name-checked more often. Yeah, for sure, especially considering, you know, um, they do this really well, the improvisational thing. So here, here's my question. I mean, maybe I should save this to the end, but it's just coming to mind now. I think it's fair to say I can tell that we both like like this record, respect it. But what do you what do you really think about it? Like you asked a, a number of episodes ago when we were talking about Slovenly, like what where does that album rank out of ten or whatever, right? When you're talking about SST bands and if like number 10 is you know i against i we're going to come up on another one of my tens firehose raging full on in a few weeks yeah but like where does paper bag land for you because i mean i really like it i really respect it i was i was pleasantly surprised i'm not sure that it's going to be like uh, a repeat listen for me though but i'm really interested to hear their ne next record yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, it's not a repeat listen for me. It's probably like a six. It's cool that they existed. It's cool that SST put this out. Makes total sense that they did. I'm not surprised that SST put this out. Uh, what they do is impressive. They do it well. But, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to listen to something, you know, I listen to tons of instrumental music. I'm going to put on some jazz fusion or something, you know, before I'm going to put this on. Yeah. Like some, something more structured. And that's, yeah. I mean, clearly they weren't going for that to that, you know, they, that was not their, their intention. So I'm not, I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying for my own personal tastes. Yeah. I mean, when I listened to it the first time through, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be a tough week. As I got near the end of the week and uh, after repeated listens, I was like, there's definitely something there. And there are moments on it there where there are sounds and there are, I don't know, like atmospheres created. Well, they're good musicians, and, right? So, yeah. And I mean, no, you, could, you couldn't do this, pull this off unless you were. So, and that comes yeah. through. No, they were, they were really, really like heavy players. 
Yeah, and I mean, I bet if they wanted to, which they didn't, but if they did, and they probably got a lot of shit, like, you and I used to play an instrumental band, right? And people used to give us a lot of shit for not having a singer. I bet you these guys got a lot of, you know, you guys have good ideas if you would just take some of those good ideas that you come up with and use them to make songs, it would probably be better. I bet you they got a lot of that kind of shit. And they, yeah. you know, that's not what they wanted to do. They did this because they got off on it. Yeah, lots of respect for that, man. Yeah. Totally. Well, let's talk about the, the artwork. Let's yeah. just quickly talk about the recording, Ryan. Oh, sure. So, yep. here's the thing I found, I think, on their website. Despite the fact that we did the mix down at a professional studio, it still sounds like what it is, a four-track recording. While some might find fault with this, I think it gives the record a very singular and a, a very singular atmosphere, subtle and slightly distant, like a dream or an old photograph. And as a guy who's done a lot of four-track recording, yeah, you can tell it's recorded on a four-track, but again, I'm glad that it is because I think I agree like it 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 adds to the album's quality it, for me. Yep. And this is, uh, I believe, off the back of the album. Improvised and recorded live August 85 through February 86. LBP Studios in Van Nuys, California. No overdubs, first takes only. Uh, produced and engineered from four-track recordings by C. Aleka, mixed April 1986 at Platinum Studios in Hollywood. Let's talk about the cover art, Ryan. Hit it. Well, again, they say improvised and recorded live by Paper Bag Improvisational Music Company. It's kind of a picture, as you pointed out, which I didn't notice. It's got the band's color schemes in in the the color of the artwork. It's got that newsprint uh, vibe to it as well, too. Yep. With the dots. Yep. That's cool. It's like a guy kind of getting like a futuristic brain scan. Is he getting a brain scan? or electro I thought it was like electroshock therapy oh, yeah. maybe that makes more sense because look at his eyes yeah for sure it looks like something like out of a David Cronenberg movie or something totally art by MS Art Services which is I'm guessing M. Siegel who also yeah. uh, I clicked on MS Art Services on Discogs and some other paper bag stuff came up but that Left Insane Toolbox album came up as well Oh, no way. Yeah. That's a great record, by the way. It is. Flip it over in the back cover. It comes with an actual ticket to trauma on it. <laughs> <laughs> Section A, row one, seat one. Yep, front row seat to a tr ticket to trauma. It's got pictures of the band, like, separately. Looks like in the studio because they're all wearing headphones. Is it just me or is Greg super jacked? Yeah, he looks ripped and he's got, like, really short sleeves on but most impressive uh, of all for me is that wicked like scarf he's got on yeah but uh, also rocking an sg right yep frank zappa nice. man oh totally i love uh and kenny he it looks like he's he's in like mid groove yep. at the keyboard with his hat on backwards i bet you like the footage on youtube is not the greatest but I guarantee you, if I saw these guys live, I would be so into it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you just know, like, the whole... There's probably 
they probably had some really killer shows. Oh, I bet. Well, the cool thing about it is, you know, you're never going to see the same show twice. And that's yeah. that's something. Yeah, no kidding. George uh, has got an awesome looking P-Base there with those big pearl rectangular inlays yeah. on the fretboard. Yeah, Love I that. that. That's yeah, I noticed that too. 70s. 70s all the way it looks awesome mm -hmm. and then uh this all all these photos are inlaid on top of what looks to be like a you know like a electric transmission tower yeah you know like a 500 500 kv tower it's for cool power it's cool artwork yeah i wonder if this is the artwork that they originally planned when they were going to release this themselves. Yeah, I don't know. It uh, it also says, I don't know if you caught this, special thanks to Ken Rosser, fellow traveler. Right. So they gave a shout out to Ken there. And Splat of KXLU-FM 88.9 Los Angeles. Did you look up who Splat is? No. Yeah, I couldn't find anything. Okay. Maybe it's in the liner notes to Taste Test Volume 1. Oh, good call to check that out we'll check it out for next week is there any dead wax ryan oh i checked i don't think so let me double check and you know what i gotta check both sides because we've had a couple single side zero 1986 homeless publishing no overdubs first takes only that's what it says on the, uh, the label though okay just in case you missed it what's the ballot result for you ballot result uh, you know, I actually, uh, I have kind of two that are in the running. I really like the ballad of Ed, is it Ed Gein or Gein? Gein. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the, the other one I liked was, uh, Garberville. Okay. I, I picked out the ballad of Ed, Ed Gein myself. Let's do it. All Gone. right. Ryan, what's next week? So next week is another first, like, three episodes in a row awesome we've got the first record by zoog's rift called island of living puke and uh, it's sst 77 we've got a special guest as well brent yeah mr california aka craig unkrich who is on the album is going to be our guest next week and it's a great interview so everyone should tune in and check it out right on let's get zoog's Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.